This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. everyone welcome into another episode of kentucky daily a daily podcast covering your university of kentucky wildcats i'm your host sean smith joined as always like we are five days a week by my co-host Derek terry of the cats paws Derek, how are you doing well sean how are you doing well we uh, actually have a lot to talk about uh on both sides kentucky basketball and kentucky football uh, Derek, before we get into the practice reports and things from football yesterday, I, I think we need to talk about the news that sort of started surfacing around. And it's something that we've been hearing before. It really broke out there yesterday, but there was just some things to it, Derek, that couldn't really put pieces together. And we still don't know exactly what's going to come of it. It's not like it's confirmed. Uh, but rumors started swirling around that Kentucky had reached out to uh, Jay Lucas, assistant coach at Texas, 31 years old, uh, a name that almost ended up at Kentucky about 13 years ago with, with Patrick Patterson. And then I'm pretty sure there was some talk there three or four years ago his name was brought up a little bit about possibly Cal maybe pursuing him at some point. And it, it looks like it's true. I think it was confirmed, right? Didn't uh, Who was it talked to uh, Texas? Yeah. It was a Texas reporter for the Statesman, American Statesman. That's I don't right. remember the reporter's name, but he was a very credible guy. Yeah, and uh, confirmed that Cal had reached out, has taught, and is trying to uh, recruit him to come to Kentucky and join the coaching staff. And this this needs to be noted. This is in addition to Bruiser Flint. This isn't something separate like Bruiser Flint. Uh, I was told yesterday, actually, that Bruiser Flint's stuff – I was told from someone close to the UK program that it's ready to roll. It's just when will it be announced? So, I mean, I, I feel like that if this happens, Bruiser will be announced first, and then we'll go into the Lucas situation. But what is your what was your reaction? I, I, I kind of felt like that the staff was going to be complete with the Bruiser news, but it's obviously Cal's maybe creating an, an additional position. That, that's all we can really assume right now. I thought it was definitely intriguing. Because until, I guess, we get clarity on what exactly Lucas would be doing, it would almost seem like a weird step for him, personally, I think, in his career, to go from a full-time assistant coach on the bench to an off, more or less, I mean, I guess he could still be, an aerobic is still on the bench and things like that, but he wouldn't be recruiting if he wasn't one of those full-time assistants which it would seem like if you're bringing a 31-year-old who already has Power 5 assistant experience, that you would want him on the trail. So what I speculated to you, and I don't know this, this is just me talking, could it be a deal that 
Lucas is coming to take one of those full-time assistant spots and Bruiser will be a special assistant. That's not what's been reported. What's been reported is that Lucas is going to be a special assistant to Cal. So unless Lucas just sees the rotting on the wall or something like that with Shaka Smart and he's looking for his next uh, venture to get out there and have something more stable, maybe it's a situation I also wrote on our board that, you know, Joel Justice has already had some rumored to be involved in some head coaching searches the past uh, year, two years or so or whatever, and his time is probably coming. So maybe Lucas, it would be a deal where he was already told, you know, you come here and do this for a year, we'll slide you into the, to a full-time role after that. I don't know. Either way, I think it's pretty intriguing if you can get a guy like that who, you know, the connections of the past aside with, with UK, I mean, he's a guy who's extremely plugged in um, to the to the recruiting world. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's – I'm really curious to see how, how Cal assembles this staff, especially in a year for Cal. I think it's some thinking outside the box, and it's a year where he's he's already lost Kenny Payne, um, might lose Dwayne Peavy too. We've got to see he was uh, reportedly offered the DePaul athletic director job, so he might leave too. Those are two very close people to him in his time at UK. So it's like kind of a transition time for Cal anyway, but it seems like he's thinking outside the box and trying to create a staff in, a, in an interesting way. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, I mean, it caught us off guard. I think it caught everybody off guard when, you know, that name pops up. But when you look at this thing, I just don't see any way that you get Lucas on staff and he's not involved in recruiting off Dark. campus. A, a guy that has that those relationships – I mean, he he was responsible for Greg Brown initially going to Texas before the you know the other decision. So I mean, when you look at something like that, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't have him on the trail. And it should be noted, I, I did find this out. You can have as many special assistants to the head coach as as you please, I guess. I mean, in, well, I, I mean, thought you, of, I thought of Nick Saban at Alabama yeah. having. Yeah. So I mean, obviously there there's a position there, and we don't know. You know, Robic. Robic is in a spot where he's the special assistant to the head coach. He he does a lot of X's and O's. He breaks down game film. And to me, it seems like that Bruiser Flint, 55 years old, he's been a, he was a head coach for 20 years from 96 to 2016, I think. Yep. Uh, was an assistant before that. It's been assistant since. Maybe he might slide into a role like that where he's – I mean, we've, we know that he is strong at X's and O's, defensive and all that stuff. So maybe – and, and and the two, you know, the knock on him when it was announced that Kentucky was pursuing him, a lot of fans was like, well, he's not that great on the recruiting trail. And then when you look at the stuff at Indiana, outside of Romeo Lankford, I think he had a hand in that one. Uh, but other than that, there's not really been a lot of big-time prospects go to Indiana under him. So maybe this is to sort of put these two pieces together if it works out. You get the X's and O's guy, you get the guy that can break down game film, and you get a guy that I think if he comes to Kentucky, Derek, would probably be one of the top five recruiters in the next couple of years. You put him with that platform, send him out with his connections that he knows. This could be a big-time thing for Kentucky. Absolutely. I think what what you said makes the most sense, that Bruisers, I believe he's in his 50s now. Uh, maybe he's at, at a point in his career where it's more appealing to him to just handle X's and O's and whatever other – coaching responsibilities Cal would have for him as opposed to spending 
once you know the it's a normal world again, spending summers on the recruiting trail. Jay Lucas is a young guy. To me, that's the absolute most value he brings to you is recruiting at this point in his career. Uh, obviously, he's a guy who grew up in basketball, played at the highest level, uh, certainly contribute to the coaching staff. I just don't. I just think it makes more sense to have that kind of special assistant role with a more seasoned guy, and that's what Bruiser Flynn is. Yeah, and with Coach Robic too, I know Kyle Tucker mentioned it, or he uh, he reached out to somebody at UK and talked about it. That as of right now, Robic's not retiring. It had nothing to do with Robic leaving. I think that that was some people, including us, that were maybe looking at it like, okay, does somebody have to go for this to work out? And obviously, it doesn't. And Robic, I will say this: Robic brings a lot of importance to the UK staff. He's been very important with Cal. He's been at Cal since his UMass days. And actually when Bruiser Flint took the job at UMass, when Cal left, Robic was his assistant coach. Mm-hmm. So there's some continuity there with those three. I, I think it's important to have all three of them on staff. I mean, Robic doing his thing, uh, Bruiser Flint doing his thing, you know, Cal at the top of this thing. And then you got these young assistants, jo- uh, Joel Justice, uh, if if Jay Lucas comes, you know Tony Barbie. I mean, this this is would be one of the best staffs, probably the best staff when you look at it top to bottom in college basketball. I mean, the young guys, the older guys, the veterans. It's a it's a perfect blend if it works out. You lose a lot when you lose Kenny Payne, but it also frees up nine hundred thousand dollars to uh, be creative. And I'm I'm assuming that. It's not going to even cost the 900 grand to get both those guys here. I don't know. I actually didn't look up what Jay Lucas was making, but I'm highly doubting it was more than 600,000. So if Bruiser is making the 300k or whatever that he was making at Indiana, maybe maybe Cal bumps it up a little bit to get him there. But you know that's that's a good thing if that's come out of this. Um, you lose a very important person, and there's no denying that. I don't think anyone would downplay the loss of Kenny Payne. We devoted a whole podcast to talking about the loss and had some guests, so we're certainly not minimizing it. But it is a way to, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say UK has not been recruiting well. I mean, they've never had worse than the number two class in the country. So, you know, there's a lot of schools that wish that they recruited the way UK does. But from those first five years that Cal was here, yeah, there's there's been a little bit of a drop off in terms of the absolute elite talent coming to Kentucky, and and this changed a little bit last year. I think BJ Boston finished top five in the rankings, and, and Terrence Clark was a top ten guy too. So you're signing multiple top ten kids. You're doing something right, obviously. But perhaps this is a move whenever you get a guy like Lucas. And I don't know if it's going to pay off in the twenty uh, twenty one class. Probably. I mean, I know he's been recruiting kids at Texas, but. This could be a move that you said pays off a lot in 22, 23, those future classes once he's able to establish himself in Lexington and find his pitch and find what works. And i got to think uh, it's a move that I'm really excited to see how it pays off. I think it's one of the more – certainly, no, it's no offense to Bruiser Flint, but I think the Jay Lucas still is a little bit more intriguing for what it can mean uh, down the road. Yeah, and, and I was told last night by someone that the last thing that Lucas wanted was this getting out this early uh I was told that he was pretty upset about it because he was still doing some things with Texas he was at their their workouts and everything like that and it and it isn't official we should make that known that this thing could change I mean I don't think it's it's not been confirmed on either side so I guess a lot can can change in the 11th hour but I was told if this goes through that it's probably next week don't expect it this week um you think they'll announce those two together if it happens I've been I've been thinking that, but it also wouldn't surprise me. I don't know this 
for a fact, but it wouldn't shock me. The Bruiser thing's been in talk since what? Late, early last week? I mean, so. It, I mean, could we people have thrown him out as a name before Kenny even officially left. So I think yeah. that's probably been done. <laughs> could, could we hear something maybe today or tomorrow? I don't know, possibly. Or maybe next week. If we don't hear something this week, surely it has to break next week. I mean, because it might be a certain time for. The job had to be officially posted before they can make it. I know that's the case for football a lot of times. You might know who the person is, but the school can't announce it until a certain date. Yeah, and, I mean, it's it's kind of weird when you think about it, too, because we're in August, and we're talking about college basketball staff changes. This is usually something that you see late spring, but this is what COVID's done is it's forced everything into this weird timetable. Uh, but definitely some intriguing news on the basketball front. If Kentucky couldn't get – Jay Lucas as a player, I think it's almost bigger to get him as a coach or as an assistant coach for what it would do for the program. And if he ends up here 13 years later, man, what a what a wild sequence of events that's happened. Uh, if you're, I don't, I don't know if you're if you were old enough to remember those days or not, but and Patrick Patterson and all that stuff and that recruitment. I mean, I, there were people that thought he was for sure coming, and then he ends up not here, and then 13 years later, here he is again. Well, I know you all aren't going to believe me when I say this, cause it, but it was actually fairly recent. When I was playing my college hoops 2K8 uh, dynasty, I was at Texas Southern starting off my career legacy, and I was coaching Texas Southern. And of course, Jay Lucas is a native of Texas, but he went to Florida. My second year in, I get a transfer from Florida. It's Jay Lucas. He comes <laughs> and helps me get to the NCAA tournament after he sits out a year. So he, I would say he was actually on my mind. I, I had to look it up because I thought that's who it was. And I was like, well, they're, obviously the names of the players aren't in those video games because of the name, image, and likeness stuff. But it was him. And, uh, of course, I remember that. Uh, you know, you get one of the top websites now in UK media was more or less built off of uh, Patrick Patterson and Jay Lucas. So kind of a full circle thing, I guess, for that crew to have him here. But it's going to be a neat little storyline if he does come here because I'm sure he's going to be asked about it. And that'll be something everybody writes about for a day. But like we already just talked about, those long-term effects of having a a young guy like that on the trail selling the UK brand I think could be a, a phenomenal hire for Calipari. And, and one more note, too. These, if there is some movement with some people on staff, it doesn't have to happen like anytime soon. I mean, there's no off-campus recruiting right now, so like I don't know how that would work. Uh, at some point, off-campus recruiting will return. Probably, Derek. I don't see any chance that that returns this fall. I mean, it obviously will be something that happens after the first of the year, going into next spring, maybe next summer. But who knows when I'm that thing returns? Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's one thing to watch, too. So whoever comes in, it's not like anybody's going out on the recruiting trail right now and actually actively recruiting in, in prospects' homes or watching games and stuff this fall. Even if there is high school basketball, who's going to be there to watch it? I don't know how it's going to work out and some details with that, but we will follow that story on this show as things develop because it's, it's clearly going to develop one way or the other in the near future. Uh, but that that's pretty much it on the basketball side of things. So let's go ahead and transition to football, Derek. It's our first time getting some football talk since early spring. So we had a few days of spring practice where we had some practice reports and things like that. But yesterday we got Mark Stoops. We got Eddie Grand. We had three players, right? A.J. Rose, Terry Wilson, Landon Young, correct? Okay. So 
solid interviews first day. So the schedule will be, we won't hear anything today, but we'll hear from some defensive guys on Thursday. And then again from Stoops late in the week. Uh, Derek, it was a weird setup. Everything was via Zoom. We would have been sitting in the press room at Kroger Field yesterday around noon for a press conference, but instead we're all lined up at our laptops on, uh, if it was anything like me, I had on a pair of like ball shorts and a polo shirt just to look like I was actually doing something. What was your takeaway from probably the weirdest day that we've had on interviews, but it actually went pretty smooth? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I want to give credit to UK because they're learning like we are, kind of the best way to cover a, a team via Zoom. And I want to give shout out to Tony Neely and Susan Lax and Matt Main, everybody who set it up yesterday. I thought it was really well done and moved much quicker than I was anticipating. They had everybody ready to go. The interviews were good. Uh, so I wanted to make that point. But with Stoops, I, I wrote a story yesterday with some of the takeaways. I felt like probably the one of the big stories nationally right now is who's opting out, who's going to play, um, how many positive tests have there been at schools. And he, he touched on those yesterday. Uh, Sean, I know you had those numbers. If you want to go ahead and read the the COVID-19 numbers that UK's had so far. So I, I don't have the total number of tests, but the first round they had six antibody positives. So six players tested positive for past infection. Um, and then the first round of COVID, active COVID testing, there were zero positives. And then the second round there were three. So they've had a, a total of three active cases of COVID-19 since everyone came back, and then th- six prior to them getting back on campus. Honestly, Derek, when you look at those numbers, when you see the the stuff at Oklahoma and North Carolina, yeah. some of these other programs, that's really encouraging, honestly. Yeah, they did very well, I thought. Those were really good numbers. Um, one point to make along those lines, and – Maybe you're seeing it hand-in-hand hand with some – I know some schools, like I think I mentioned Syracuse last time, those kids didn't think there was going to be a season played anyway. They were talking about kids off and out. It seems like maybe it does go hand-in-hand hand with the programs that are doing a good job keeping kids safe as it applies to the kids who actually want to play football. Because Stoops said yesterday that they hadn't – to this point, and he said it could change, and it could, but to this point, no one has spoken with him about opting out of the season. So you go into fall camp at least thinking you're going to have a full roster, which is good. Um, I think it's good on UK's end that they were able to keep the kids as safe as they were to, to a, every single one of those three yesterday. It was AJ Rose, Terry Wilson, and Landon Young. And they all talked about how safe they felt at UK on, on the football field. And also, you know, how much they want to play and how that goes into holding each other accountable. Uh, you know, no large gatherings, it's part of the college experience, going to parties and everything like that, especially if you're an athlete. I mean, I'm sure you're getting invites everywhere if people want to be around you. But I'm sure it's going to be harder for those guys to say no. But at the same time, if you want to have a season, this is what you have to do. And it's a sacrifice they have to make. And those were three veteran guys we got yesterday. Those are three seniors who, you know, you hope that they have NFL futures, but this might be it for them. But I thought that was a big thing uh, yesterday. But probably the other – Big takeaway for me was something that Stoops confirmed out loud that I think we all thought anyway, that it's his deepest team yet at UK, and how that's really going to apply in a season that you're going to be tested in ways you've never been tested before, not just from a pandemic, but also playing 10 SEC games. It's going to be a real grind, and I think those teams that don't really have the sufficient depth 
they're going to really struggle this year. And UK is at least in a position now where it should be able to handle a little bit of wear and tear this year. And that's that's a credit to Stoop and what he's been able to do these last few years to, to build up a team to, to get to this point. And following your 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 talk about, you know, off campus parties and large gatherings and things like that, uh we recorded the first episode of the Now Between Two Athletes podcast last night. It was formerly Go Big Blue Country football with me and Steven Johnson, Alex Montgomery, and Cash Daniel joined us. And all three of those guys said if we want to have a college football season, they need to go ahead and move to online learning, the football team at least, he said. Yep. All three of them said it. So that that stood out to me that you got three former athletes that said that. And I think that's a concern from everyone really right now is what does this thing look like in two weeks with everybody back on campus? Uh, they mentioned, too, that you probably don't have to worry about the upperclassmen you know, going out and being at large gatherings, but you have your freshmen coming in if they're new to college. It, I think that's going to be the group that you have to be the most concerned about just because they're, there's a difference, Derek, in Landon Young and a freshman. I mean, it's it's five years right now, but those five years are huge, yeah. it, especially when it comes to decision-making and making the right call. So I think those are the, that's the crew to watch, in my opinion. The guys that are new to campus life, they're they're going to want to go to parties, but maybe next year. Like this year, if you want to play football, you better you better just stay home. Yeah, I mean, Landon Young's a married man now. You know, he's going home to the to the wife at night. And I thought it might have been him. He made a good point. Like, I guess something I haven't really thought about. Some of these guys, like, don't live with all football players. Like, some of these guys just live with normal students or just friends. And those kids obviously are not being uh, – going through the same thorough kind of examinations or being tested regularly or having the protocols put in place. I mean, personally, you can do what you can to keep yourself safe. I mean, wear a mask. Uh, sanitize your hands, all those things that the CDC tells you to do. But if you're a normal student, no, you're not getting the kind of uh, care that these football players are. So I thought that was a good point, something I hadn't thought of. And just another reason, really, I mean, I'm with you. You kind of invested too much into this, I think, as a football program. All these schools have to, I hate to say risk because they're students and, like, the whole point, at least the NCAA wants you to think the whole point is that they're there for school. So, yeah, it would certainly uh, differentiate them from the normal student, but they already are anyway. So I would say online learning is is the way to go and, and probably the safest way to get this thing done this year. Yeah, and we're seeing that happen other places around college football and other schools too. So that's going to be something that's just going to change rapidly, I think, in the next couple of weeks. We might see schools that have started in-person learning uh, move to online learning, which will be frustrating for students that have, you know, set up everything for in-person classes. You're seeing it with local schools here in Kentucky, here. Uh, Bell County actually announced their new plans. I don't think either Millsboro schools or Bell County schools are opening in-person learning till September 28th. So that's just decisions that are going to be made and probably ever-changing for the next couple of months until we get this thing figured out. Uh, you mentioned safety and face coverings and things like that. We've talked about those in the past, some of the SEC protocols and stuff. So we get pictures from yesterday's first practice, and the one I sent a picture to you, and the one thing that stood out to me was the the mask. It looks like it's cloth mask that are built into the face mask part, not the not the visor area. So it's not like a shield. It literally looks like a mask is just sort of wrapped around the face mask part of the football helmet. And you and I had a discussion yesterday. 
what does that really do? Because the whole thing's open. I mean, does it limit some things? Probably. It, it's good to see that they're trying things out, though, to see what works. And that's just going to be something trial and error with these things. And you now's the time to try it to see what works, sort of, and what's the most comfortable. Because obviously these, these guys have to breathe. And if, yeah. if you're wearing a visor and that cloth over top of you, man, it's going to be kind of difficult. But what did you think about what they had put together? Yeah, so I saw Landon Young, so that's how his was, but not everybody had that. That was one thing I noticed. Like Terry Wilson didn't have it. I'm looking uh, at the photos right now. Max Duffy didn't have it. Cleveland Thomas didn't have it that way, although he had his, uh, he had something else over his face. So it seemed like it was hearing that. Am I assuming? I might be assuming wrong. Was it just a lineman who had that? It would make more sense, I think, for those guys to still be right up in other people's faces. I, I want to think I saw Joey Gatewood had it too. Had it too. Okay, so it's probably whoever whoever wanted it could do that. I, I got to think there's some level of of protection that way. There has um, to be. But I also know that the the kind of helmet or face shield or whatever that they tried to make, it seemed like some schools had some real problems with it. Like the kids couldn't really breathe that well. They, uh, they was, fogged up too, didn't they? Didn't yeah, somebody just, report that? Yeah, I know Tulane had a – they had basically said that they were not going to wear those helmets unless they were forced to. So maybe this was a compromise at UK to do it this way and see what happens. Um, that's just the time we're living. I mean, that was one of the photos that UK sent. It was just a helmet with the face mask on it, and I, I showed it to my fiance. and said, this is just – this is 2020, <laughs> football in 2020. So um, as I do look at this photo, Terry, you are right. It looks like Nick Scalzo in the back, or maybe – I can't tell. It's one of the quarterbacks. Maybe Sawyer Smith, actually. One of the quarterbacks has it, but almost all of the linemen had the face mask, uh, had the you know regular mask on their face mask. So something I hadn't seen in other photos. I'd looked at a few other team photos um, just for college football starting, and I hadn't seen that anywhere else. I, I didn't know some of the teams had the kind of visor thing that uh, had been going around. Yeah, and, and looking at this, it looks like it wraps around maybe two of the bars, and then it goes on the inside. So it's definitely – it's on there tightly. I mean, it's not like it's just some loose cloth. I mean, it, it's creative. I mean, if that works and it helps, it has to help at some point, especially, like you said, those lineman positions where you got guys face-to-face. That's where I think that we could see some things. If there is COVID, I mean, it's going to – it's obviously going to live in the trenches, right? If somebody has yeah. it, that's where it's going to be passed the most or on the piles. So it's interesting to see the different approaches people are taking. And, I mean, credit to them. We're all in this learning stage with this. We don't know what's going to work best and what's going to happen. But any steps that you can take or precautions to keep these guys safe and everyone around, I mean, give them a shot and see what works. I think – I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we're going to see some guys wearing some coverings like that. Uh, Terry Wilson had the one that was the UK over his face. That's probably something that we see him do throughout the season. Mm-hmm. I would say so. I mean, you're right. It is creative. And I, I hope that's something that works. I'm sure the players hope that works because I doubt it really restricts their breathing, if, if anything, really. I mean, it's even less restrictive than if you just had a mask on under your helmet, just directly on your face. So at least gives you a little bit of space. But I guess they've they've done some things to figure out how viable an option it was. I don't think they'd be doing that if it wasn't something that they thought would help. No, absolutely. Uh, So I wanted to touch on that because that was something you and I talked about last night. But a couple more things from football yesterday. 
Derek, there was one name that both Mark Stoops and Eddie Grand mentioned at the wide receiver position. They both mentioned Bryce Oliver. And not only did that stand out to me, it, it looks like it stood out to two or three other people on the UK beat because they actually wrote about it. What what was your takeaway from that? I mean, that's a guy that if if there's a guy that I'm picking other than Josh Ali to really break out, I think Oliver would be a guy that I think could make some plays for Kentucky in the passing game. Absolutely. Uh, he kind of, he's kind of getting the treatment that Jordan Ryan got last year. <laughs> um, and it's funny because they went to the same high school. But Brad White always talked about how Jordan Wright had it, but it was always consistency. It was always he had to do it every day at practice. He had to show up ready to go. And sounds a little bit to me from, I think it was Eddie who was talking about it, who uh, Bryce is kind of getting the same thing, that you know his potential. He's just got to show up and bring it to practice every single day. I mean, Bryce kind of came on the scene. First of all, if you go back to his recruitment, he was a very late addition to the 19 class. He was a guy who I think UK did not have him at the very top of its receiver board, but it had gotten to a point where they could take him. It might have been 18. I forget which class it was. Actually, it was probably 18. Yeah, it was 18. Um, but Bryce, no one really talked about him until the spring game, and he had a, a great spring game. And I was like, okay, this is a kid who, you know, Isaiah Epps, with him out, you knew going into the season that he was going to be an important guy. First game of the season, makes a touchdown catch, uh, fights a defender for the ball, pulls it in. That was kind of the last, from what I can recall, you know, that we really saw him until maybe the Missouri game when probably Lynn Bowden's longest pass of the whole season uh, against Missouri in the rain was to Bryce. He, he came down with the ball. They need guys to to step up. We've talked about that a bunch. You know, you can count on Josh Ali, you think, just because he's, he's been pretty consistent when given the opportunities. But, you know, can Alan Daly be a guy? Can Bryce Oliver be a guy? Are there any young players who step in? I mean, uh yeah, he talked about Mike Drennan yesterday being a guy that can do a lot of things. I don't know how much those freshmen are going to play. I mean, it's literally their first day of camp yesterday. So who knows really what you can expect from those kids. But Bryce seems like a pretty good choice to me, especially with the fact that it sounds like Isaiah Epps is still maybe on the mend. I don't think he's quite recovered yet, which is really unfortunate for him. Yeah, and that was a name that was brought up yesterday that we hadn't heard in a long time about Isaiah Epps. We haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, but if he's healthy, he could help him, especially, you know, take the top off the thing with the speed and stuff that he has to get down the field. Uh, so there are some names there to watch for sure. Uh, some guys that Lee Allen Daly is a guy that we haven't mentioned that I think could be a big a big piece at that, at that position. So it's just going to be something to watch, especially if Terry's healthy. Uh, two, Derek, we, we still have no word on Joey Gatewood and his eligibility waiver. Uh, Stoops said they they expect a decision relatively soon, which I think would be the normal thing to say, considering we're you know, staring down the barrel mm-hmm. of the college football season. So that would change the storylines of the Auburn game drastically if he gets eligible. Because you mentioned this on yesterday's episode, I think, that regardless if Terry's QB1 and healthy or not, there's snaps for Joey Gatewood in probably every single football game, mm-hmm. all 10 of them for Kentucky this season, if he's eligible, just because there's going to be some packages there. I mean, you could you could implement some of the things that they did with Lynn Bowden and just keep that as – that might be your Wildcat quarterback, honestly. I mean, the way Florida did with Chris Leak, Tim Tebow 13, 14 years ago, you could see something similar play out with Kentucky this year. I was going to make the point that Florida, which it's a little different for Florida – 
last year they would play Kyle Trask and uh, Emory Jones, although that's a little different situation because Terry is actually a, a true dual threat quarterback already. Like Florida, when they would bring in Jones, you knew it was probably – they let Jones throw the ball, but you knew it was probably going to be some kind of mix of a of a potential run as well. So that, that is a good thing with Terry that he can certainly run the ball. But with Gatewood, I think he's just too good of an athlete. If you have someone like that at your disposal, you should use him. And I, I think it's – I'm sure he would have liked to have known coming into fall camp if he was going to be eligible or not. But he's he's long said that his mentality has been that he was he's practicing as if he's going to be, you know, the guy this year, going to be able to play. So I think it helps UK a lot. And this is without ever seeing him play. But I'm just, you know, his pedigree. And I know Bo Nix beat him out at Auburn, but that was a quarterback battle that went all the way, I think, to pretty much leading up to the first game of the season before Bo Nix was named the starter. And Auburn still used him in that way where he would come in and run the ball and scored a touchdown against Oregon, I think, the first game of the season rushing. So he'll help UK if he's eligible. And uh, main hope still, though, is that Terry's the Terry's guy who can lead him because you hope for him in a senior year coming off injury that he's able to produce. I mean, he looked pretty good. We didn't get to see a lot. UK sent out a B-roll of practice yesterday, but he was moving around pretty well. He has the – whole full leg sleeve on his left knee, on his left leg, and moving around, throwing it a little bit. Obviously knows the offense very well, and I would think for him it's just going to be all about knocking some of that rust off from having not really, even in spring he didn't do a whole lot. So now that he's back full go, this is these are going to be some important practices for him. Yeah, absolutely. And on the Joey Gatewood discussion here, if they get him and he's eligible – Kentucky's success and short yardage on third down, I think, goes up because he's a guy like that's how I mentioned the Chris Leak, Tim Tebow days at Florida, the first championship under Urban Meyer. When it was third and two, third and three, fourth and one, fourth and two, Tebow went in and ran that quarterback, that power package where he just bulldozed people for four or five yards. Joey Gatewood has that frame, Derek, that I think that we could see that from Eddie Grant's offense that it just becomes a given. If it's short yardage, you know who's getting the call. And that's something that they've actually struggled with at times the last few years was they'd line up fourth and one in the Wildcat with A.J. Rose or a smaller guy. Getting a power guy like that, and even this year I think it could be Chris Rodriguez from the running back spot, but if you get a quarterback that can get downhill and big like that, I think it could change Kentucky's offense to the point that they could keep some drives alive just by getting that addition on the, the roster. I don't think we've talked about it on this podcast, but I know in our conversations that I've said it felt like maybe not this year, but if and when, I would say more so when, Gatewood becomes the full-time guy, whether I'm sure it's probably going to be next year. I, don't, I, won't, I won't write off anybody until it's official, but, I mean, the world that I live in, Joey Gatewood didn't transfer to UK to not play, you know, next year, so – I'm pretty sure he was given some assurances that he would have a chance to be the guy. And I think he will be the guy in 21. So I kind of compared it to uh, with the stable running backs that UK has and will have for the future and the offensive line. The offensive line will be going through a transition next year, but I still think you could see an offense kind of like what Mississippi State was running with Dak Prescott. Kind of that power run, but still have a guy who can throw it. And to me – that's probably, like, at this point in his career, Mark Stoops, like, that might be the best offense for you. He's gone through some different things. They tried to start off with the air raid type deal and went to a very serious, you know, kind of 
ground and pound game when Benny was the main guy, and now maybe you're going to loosen it up a little bit to where you still have that power run, but your wide receiver room is looking pretty good, especially if they sign these kids that they have committed right now. You're going to have a really solid uh, future passing game, I would think, with still recruiting some very good running backs. So once they get that offensive line shirt up next year, because they have the bodies, it's just going to be a matter of, you know, getting those guys some playing time. But they've recruited well on the line. They have multiple four-stars there. I think they're going to sign Jagger Burton. So that's going to be another four-star to have it uh, have in your arsenal in the future. So that's what I think this thing's going to turn into here in a few years, and I think that's going to give UK a chance to remain in the 8 to kind of 10 win range for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and speaking of wins, let's go ahead and discuss the SEC win totals. So you you took us, you bridged us right into that. I don't know if that was uh, planned, but yeah, but it, it's smooth. That was uh, I thought you did that. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, Sportsline released their odds yesterday, and it wouldn't be a successful season for Kentucky if they win four. They have them at four and a half. If Kentucky goes four and six. I I don't know how that sits. I don't know how we feel, what, three or four months from now when we break this thing down. Well, you're definitely I not st- going to feel good if you take the over and it doesn't hit. So No, but if there's one over that I'm hitting, Derek, it's that one. I just I think Kentucky's winning at least five, and that might be some free money there. And then I would actually venture down, too, that there's some free money in Vandy at one and a half. They're not winning two football games. Well, I saw Adam Lockett. One of the, I guess it was a different one because it was it was two. It was over under two games, and he said to hammer the under. And absolutely, I mean, <laughs> they're going 0 10. I'll keep saying it. And he's going 0 10 this year. Who are they going to beat? I mean, who's on their schedule? They're gonna, they don't play Arkansas. It would be like the only other team you would think they could be Ole Miss, maybe. But like Ole Miss is way more talent. And I don't think Ole Miss has a ton of talent, but they got plenty more than Vanderbilt. But I agree with you. I think UK is one in five. Um, I, I guess I can't say for sure. To me, if you don't win that, then it means you lost every single potential swing game, basically, like against the teams that you that we talked about on, uh, I guess, our last podcast. Uh, yeah, because the schedule came out. On our last podcast, we talked about the Tennessees and Auburns and Floridas of the world. That means you would have lost to every single one of those teams, and then you would have dropped one to, like, South Carolina or Mississippi State, somebody like that, Missouri. And I don't think they're going to – that's like worst case in my opinion. I don't think that's going to happen. So I'm with you. If you're going to make two bets off that list, I would go over on Kentucky at four and a half and under on Vanderbilt. Whatever whatever Vanderbilt's number is, go under on it because uh, they're not going to hit more than one or two – more than one win. So that's, I would that's go, a good bet. I would go under if it were at zero, <laughs> if, if I could possibly. Uh, the one that you mentioned, Vandy, at two – Kentucky's at five in that, and that's by sports betting. That one's probably a little bit more difficult, in my opinion. It that's the you one where one. you have to, because we've we've talked about this, and we talked about it on the, the podcast I recorded last night. All of us said if Kentucky gets to six wins, it's considered a really good season. It's six and four playing ten SEC games. The difference in six and four and five and five, it's pretty significant. And when you're trying to win some money, it's very significant. So I think that one's the one that I stay away from. And I'm going to take do? the – I mean, I would take the over, obviously. I mean, I had Kentucky winning seven to eight games in our yeah. preview. So. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this one funny thing about Steven, Steven Johnson. He has Kentucky going in seven and three. 
and Alex Alex gave him a lot of a lot of heat for this last night. He had Kentucky losing back to back games to Ole Miss and Mississippi State, but still going seven and three. And it was one o'clock in the morning. So he yeah. had them. So who was the only thing they lost to then? He had them beating Alabama. Alabama. He had he had them beating Alabama. Had them beating Bama and Georgia and Florida and everybody, but losing to Ole Miss. Mississippi I think he had them losing to Georgia. But it was just okay. the, it was the weirdest thing. Alex just kept looking like at the screen, like we're gonna have to have Steve. I want them on here for an episode to talk yeah. because they're just some of the things, man, that they say. But Alex has them going nine and one. No, he well, he just he just literally. I I was trying to speed up the podcast, and I said, yeah. let's just go ahead. Do we agree that they're both going to beat Ole Miss and Mississippi State? And you know, Alex is like. Yeah, and cash, and then Steve goes, no. And then he has to give his reasoning. So then we take like another two minutes, and I'm like, okay, the, the Zoom timer's running out here, and you're just giving me all this. And then we get into it, and I'm thinking, well, surely we can skip this one then if you pick those two. No, they're beating Alabama. Like, we're going to have to have him on here to give his reasoning why. And yeah, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be curious to hear that. Uh, <laughs> if it plays out that way, I mean, maybe he's from the future, but – no, I mean, um, I would have put those two, the Ole Miss and Mississippi State, as uh, I'd say the – well, I'm trying to count down. Like, I think Missouri and Vanderbilt are the easiest games, but then those those two are the next two easiest on the schedule. I agree with that. So, we're definitely hammering the over four and a half and taking the under on Vandy if we're making two bets. Yeah. And Bob uh, is uh, – Five's interesting because you could have a good year and go five and five, and that would have meant that, you know, if you beat the teams you should have, you just didn't happen to beat any of the uh, probably teams that at least historically have been better than you uh, over the course. And that wouldn't be – that wouldn't shock me, but I do think this group's going to be able to pull one of those out. And if you do take the over on that and they beat Auburn that first week, you're feeling really good about how uh, about how much money you're going to win. I did say – I did say last night out of – out of Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Alabama, just grouping those four together, I think they win at least one of them. Mm-hmm. I, I think they find a way to win one of them. I don't know which one that is for sure. I picked it Tennessee. I picked them to beat Tennessee and Florida uh, when I was talking eight wins. But the seven and three, I still think that they get one of those, and then the Auburn one, uh, they can get seven wins if they get a couple, if they steal a couple. And this is a year to steal a couple. Uh, but Derek, that that's pretty much covers the football front. I forgot something on the basketball front, though. The BJ Boston Instagram oh, yeah. story stuff. That I mean, I think that that was kind of small news, honestly, compared to some of the yeah, other things that happened yesterday. And it did come out. Uh, was it who was it? Talk was it Kyle that confirmed it? I think yeah. with somebody from UK. There, were, there was somebody else too, maybe that it, it was. It's an injury to his finger. It's not his entire hand. It's his non-shooting hand. It's his left hand. Uh, Derek will will be quick with this. It looks like possibly college basketball will be played later than expected anyhow, so maybe January possibly. We don't know that for sure, uh, but it, it looks like November start date probably won't happen. So if it is an injury, he has some time here. He does. I, I, I probably didn't make it. I was surprised like you. Like I thought – I wrote that story for us yesterday. I thought the numbers would have been much better, but the uh, – I think my Joey Gatewood story did more numbers than that to that yeah. point. So probably the fact that it is a minor injury. I mean, you know how you know how cautious 
especially this far away from the season, if it's even anything at all that they think could linger, you're going to put it in a cast and just give it some time to heal. So I don't, I would say it's a non-issue, but at the same time, like you're saying, we're probably months away from them ever playing. He might miss a little bit of practice time. Obviously he's going to miss a little bit of practice time, but it's not going to be anything. I think that's going to, if it heals properly, you won't even remember that it was even a thing. No, and if there's anyone that you want to follow to find out what's happening with the basketball team, follow Joel Williams from the football team on Instagram because he's always around. And you know yesterday, Cal and them's probably sitting there thinking, why? You know, why did we have to pan the camera? To Not only did B.J. Boston look like he had an, an injury, it looked like he'd been hit with a car. I mean, he had the cast like – all the way up his arm. I mean, he looked and he had the mask on. I mean, he looked like he didn't feel well at all when you looked at well, the I, guy. I think somebody reported that it happened last month, right? It did. It happened, it happened when they were at home. So whenever they took the break home. So that's something that we didn't know that it happened. Yeah. So you have to, th- if it's a finger, he's possibly getting on the, the ladder, the ladder end of this thing. I would think. Depending on, depending on what it is. Uh, but he worked out when he went home, so it was supposedly an injury, a basketball injury at home. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's just some precautions, you know, to make sure that there's nothing there. But the good news is it's just a finger. It's not his entire hand. It's not a wrist or anything like that, and it's his non-shooting hand. So that's good news. It is. Um, yeah, Joel. I mean, Joel is the guy who enrolled early, and he, uh, he's been – he was hanging out with Ashton Hagens from day one, I think, back last year. So – he found his click right away and was breaking some news for, for people, uh, <laughs> whether it was wanted to be out there or not. Because I think that's actually kind of a thing where we're not going to see any basketball players for a while. That might have been something that might not have come out at uh, yeah, we, that video. We would have never known that B.J. Boston had a cast on his left hand at all if Joel hadn't put that up. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Joel. At least we know now. But you're right. There, I didn't get a lot of good traffic on that. Like, it was not – I think people were just like, ah. Yeah, we'll worry about that when it's time to worry about it. So right now, I think people are just worried about college football season and a little happy that we have a schedule and moving towards it. Uh, Derek, been another good episode. Uh, hopefully, we have some content to talk about on Thursday's uh, episode. But here we are, almost two weeks into this thing, and I think it's going well. Yeah, I'm having a great time. I think we're. Uh... Hope you guys are liking it like like we always encourage you to do. Give us some feedback. Leave ratings, rate it, uh, or leave comments, I mean, and then rate it. And give us your feedback because, you know, we enjoy it. But uh, everything's been good so far. But that doesn't if you don't like it, you know, you don't have to lie and say that you do like it. So just let us know and uh, <laughs> see, what we can, see what we can do to, to improve. Yeah, we're always open to suggestions. We will continue the the guest on the show. We've got some big-name guests scheduled for future episodes when some things happen. Uh, Derek, I'm looking forward to another episode of this thing. And as always, thank you all so much for your support. Reach out to us if you're interested in advertising. If you have suggestions, uh, leave us a rating like Derek said. I think possibly we're on Spotify now. I will check as soon as I get off this episode and make sure. If we are, I'll tweet that link out. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to this podcast. And how many episodes is this now, Derek? Are we into episode eight, if I'm not mistaken? I believe so. I don't, so, I don't see us on Spotify Okay. Yet. So uh, we're not on there yet. So that should be coming. Wednesday if, morning, we're not. Yep. Today is so Wednesday, this, right? 
Yeah, it is. And I, we, I should have some stuff on Sky Clark for Thursday's episode because I am going to watch him uh, in an open run today somewhere. So I will have some, some hopefully some scouting report on Scott's first time I'm getting to watch him, 2022 Kentucky target, possibly 2021. We'll just have to see if he in, ends up, if he does indeed reclassify. Uh, so I'll have some stuff on that. I'm going to go watch him today. Uh, so Derek will talk about that tomorrow. But this has been Episode 8 of Kentucky Daily. See you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.